0: All right, well, I'm gonna need a little bit of audience participation to start off this message. Um, I had a really crazy week. I was originally gonna write an introduction to the sermon, but just didn't have enough time. So I'm gonna need you to help me with a little audience participation. How many of you, whenever you were kids, remember playing that game, Opposite Day? Do you remember playing Opposite Day? Okay, where you say the opposite of whatever is true. Like my grandmother would come in, she'd say, I need you to clean your room. I'd say, absolutely, Nana, would love to clean my room. Give me an hour. An hour later, she come back. She said, "Hey, I thought you were gonna clean your room." I said, "Ha ha, today's opposite day." And then she said, "Well, you're gonna be watching TV for a month, right? Which means grounded." Okay. Do you remember that game, Opposite Day? Opposite Day. Okay. I'm today's gonna be opposite day at Redemption, so I'm gonna need your help. I'm gonna say something, and then you tell me the opposite. So, cats. Dogs. Good job. Up. Down. Left. Right. Yes. No. Jesus Christ the Antichrist. That's right, today we're gonna be talking about the opposite of Jesus Christ. You're in luck today, because today we're talking about bum, 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 the Antichrist. Now, at Redemption, you know that we love talking about Jesus. We've actually been studying the book of Mark for about three years now, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line, through the gospel of Mark, learning about Jesus, Uh, Early on in our congregation, there was a need for people to know Jesus. As a young church with a lot of people who were coming to faith, coming back to church, getting baptized, if you go out in the lobby, there's 200 locks on our baptism wall. That means a lot of people are meeting Jesus in our church, and so we need to know who Jesus is. And so we've been teaching about Jesus, who he is, what he does, and what it means for us to live our lives for him. But today's Opposite day because instead of teaching you about Jesus, I'm going to teach you about the Antichrist. Instead of just teaching you about your king, it's important for us to also know our enemy. Instead of just knowing who is for us, we also need to know who is against us. And so, yes, we talk about the love of Jesus, but we also need to understand that there is a real enemy. His name is Satan, and he manifests himself in the flesh through what is known as the Antichrist. So, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down it's going to be the thought that guides this message whatever God creates Satan counterfeits Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. God is a creator, Satan is a counterfeiter. Anything that is worth anything eventually is gonna have a counterfeit. It's gonna have a, a knockoff. So this could be anything between you know Nike Air Jordans. This could be handbags that the ladies pick up in Mexico while they're on vacation. This could be knockoff bootleg DVDs, counterfeit bills. Anything that is worth something eventually is gonna be taken, corrupted, twisted, perverted, and it's gonna be counterfeited, nothing in the Bible teaches this more clearly, more specifically than Jesus teaching on the Antichrist. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. So God creates light, Satan brings darkness. God is good, Satan is evil. God gives life, Satan brings death. God wants to heal you, Satan wants to harm you. God wants to deliver you, Satan wants to deceive you and to destroy you because whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits and today we're gonna learn about the the opposite of Jesus Christ, we're gonna learn about a person named the Antichrist. So grab your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 13, picking up in verse 14, where the sermon today is called, 10 things that you probably never knew about the Antichrist. you excited? You ready? All right, let's do it. Here we go, diving in. We're gonna look at it in three questions. The first question is this, who is the Antichrist? Okay, a lot of people wondering that question, especially after last year we had. Amen. People are like, "Uh, who is this Antichrist? The second thing is, what is he going to do? And then number three, we're going to see what will happen to him in the end. Here's what Jesus says in Mark 13, 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation, circle it, underline it, highlight it. We're going to be talking about that today. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter into his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been seen since the beginning of creation, God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human would be saved. But... For the sake of the elect whom he chose, he has shortened the days, and in those days, if anyone says to you, look, here he is, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, antichrist, and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all of these things beforehand. Now, before I was a pastor, I actually worked in the service industry for several years, waiting tables in restaurants. And for those of you who work in restaurants, you know that the goal of every shift is to make about $100. Like that is the goal. If you can walk out of there with $100, it was a good day. But you don't only wanna make $100. No, no, you wanna make a $100 bill. There's just something about having a nice, crisp, cool, 100, dollars hundred dollar bill so when you leave here today take your invite card and leave a good tip if you don't leave a good tip don't leave an invite card amen okay and so my goal was to make a hundred dollar bill And one night I made my $100 bill, feeling pretty good about myself. I went to the bank to deposit it into my accounts, and I walk up to the cashier, slide that bad boy across the table. And then she takes out this pen and she runs the pen across the top of the bill and she says, sorry, sir, I can't I can't deposit this into your account because it's a counterfeit. And I said, well, how do you know it's a counterfeit? She said, well, we have this pen and we rub the pen across the top of it and it tests the weight and the ink and the paper and it reveals what is authentic and what is counterfeit, what is real and what is genuine. And you, sir, have a fake $100 bill. So, so, so what happened? She said, nothing happens. It's, it's worthless. If you want, I could call the cops. Like, no, please don't do that. Okay. (laughs) It's worthless because it was a counterfeit. And my concern and my worry for many people is that they have a counterfeit faith is that when it comes to their beliefs, when it comes to their spirituality, when it comes to their religion, relationship with God, when it comes to their eternity, they're like me at a bank trying to cash in a counterfeit because they don't know the difference between the real thing and the fake thing. And if you don't know what you believe, then guess what? You're gonna end up believing anything. I said that last week, I'm gonna say it again. It's so incredibly important for us to understand this, that if you don't know what you believe, Believe, then you will end up believing anything. That's exactly what Jesus warns us about here in Mark chapter 13. He says that false Christs and false prophets will arise and they will perform signs and wonders to do what? To lead astray, if possible, the elect. So be on guard, be alert, for I have told you these things beforehand. Last week he said, see that no one leads you astray. This week he says, false Christs, false prophets, false prophets, False teachings will arise. The closer we get to the end of days, the more counterfeits that are gonna be put forth into circulation. And if you don't know what you believe, then you're going to end up believing anything. And my concern and fear for so many of us as your pastor is that instead of renewing our minds by the washing of the water with the word, instead we are being brainwashed and conditioned by the ways of this world. If you don't know what you believe in the last days, then you could end up believing anything. And this is exactly what statistics are showing, because I'm not the only pastor who's concerned about this. Redemption isn't the only church who's actually teaching this. LifeWay Research just came out with their 2020 State of the Bible, and here's how they have researched and shown the state of Christianity in America today. Here's what they've learned since 2020. Here's what they say. 46% of Christians don't read their Bibles at all. 46%. And only 9% of Christians read their Bible on a daily basis. Do you know what that means? 91% of Christians don't really know what they believe. And in the last days, they will end up believing anything because they are not having their minds washed by the renewing of the water with the word of God. This would be for us as a church of about 300 people that only 27 of you are gonna read your Bibles tomorrow. That's the statistic. But hey, redemption ain't no statistic, amen? We are not a statistic. No, we are a gospel-centered movement in the heart of this city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. We ain't no statistic. We are a gospel-centered movement, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching, small group having, mission-oriented, loving other people, serving with our spiritual gifts-type people. That's who we are, amen? We are not a statistic. So tomorrow, read your Bible and go to small group this week. Here's what they've also discovered is this, is that people spend more time reading books, blogs, than actually reading their Bible. And because we don't know what we believe, we're relying on celebrities and YouTube pastors to be able to study God's word for us rather than revealing, realizing that we have the Holy Spirit who will teach us the word of God as we read it. Listen, if you don't know what you believe, then you will end up believing anything. But my concern for us goes a lot deeper than that. Not only is there an increase in ignorance in the Church of America, but there's also an increase in deception. Studies also show that 52% of Americans, they believe that Jesus was a good teacher, but they don't actually believe that he is God. One of the core fundamental doctrines and beliefs for us as Christians, 74% of believers think that they are saved by their good works and being a good person. 60% believe that religion is a matter of personal opinion and not objective truth. And 85% of people believe that when they die, they are going to heaven. This is what happens when you don't know what you believe. How many of you have ever like been drunk and wake up somewhere that's not your house? That ever happen to you? Like you go out, you party, you're like, hey, you're describing Friday night. That's why I'm here at church today. Um, how, many of you ever, like, how many of you ever like got drunk and then like you wake up somewhere else and you're, like there's a lampshade on your head, you got Sharpie all over your face and you can't find your pants. That ever happened to you? Okay, hypothetically, that ever happened to you? Thank you, brother. <laughs> that's America. That's America spiritually. People think that they're doing fine and right and they're saved by their good works, well, they're gonna die, open their eyes and they're not gonna be at home. Instead, they're gonna be in hell because they don't know what they believe. And if you don't know what you believe, then you're going to end up believing anything. Why do I I tell you this? Because my concern for us as a church is that many people are like me at the bank trying to cash in a counterfeit. And in the end, it's worthless because you don't really know what you believe. And in the last days, there will be an increase of counterfeits that are put forth. And if you don't know the real thing, you will fall for anything. If you don't know the genuine, you will be fooled by the counterfeit. If you don't know the truth, then you're going to fall for the lies. And so here's what I want to do today. Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. So I want to take this pen called a Bible and I want to run it across the counterfeit. So that way we can really see not only who Jesus is, but we can also see who our enemy is so we can learn and we can discern and we can know the truth from the error. And so here's the thing that we're going to study, the Antichrist, okay? And we're going to look at it in three ways. The first question is this, who is the Antichrist? Here's what Jesus tells us in Mark thirteen fourteen. But when you see The abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. And then Matthew's parallel account in 25.15 says this. So when you see the abomination of desolation, he adds this. Spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So we're going Old Testament today. We're going to learn about the prophecies that are telling of the forecoming, not just of Jesus, but also of the Antichrist. Last week I told you there are 300 prophecies referring to the coming of Jesus 100 prophecies in the Old Testament refer to his first coming 200 prophecies refer to his second coming and Jesus fulfilled all 100 prophecies of the Old Testament in his first advent so you better believe that his second coming he is being faithful to fulfill the 200 prophecies and those prophecies are contained in the book of Daniel as well and then Daniel speaks about this when standing in the holy place let the reader understand In verses 1 through 13, last week we looked at the time leading up to the end times. Jesus said, when you see these things happen, the end is not yet. These are but birth pains. It is a cycle of human nature and depravity taking place, increasing over time. And that's the time leading up to the end times. But last week Jesus said, no, 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 the end is not yet here. But when you see the abomination of desolation, the end is not just here. The end is now because this is the mark, the sign, the, this is what you're looking for because now the end has come. It is the abomination of desolation. I want you to look down at it. It says, when you see he... Not not just an it, this is a person. So this is two things. The abomination of desolation is two things. Number one, it is an event. It is something that we can look, something that we can see, but it's also a person, somebody that we have to understand. When the abomination of desolation is standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. He's talking about what today we know as the Antichrist. And so before I answer this question, who is the Antichrist? That's what everybody reading the comments on YouTube on this sermon clip wanna know who is the Antichrist. I need to tell you first who is not the Antichrist. Okay, let me just go ahead and throw this out there, lean over the plate, take one for the team. It's not Obama. It's also not Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And no matter how much I wish it were to be true, it's not Arnold Schwarzenegger either. Like that would be amazing. The Austrian death machine, like I can just see the battle of Armageddon. It's like, it's like Terminator and he's shooting his AK-47 and there's beasts flying and dragons and he's like, get to the chopper, okay? But that's not it either, all right? You need to understand something. Is that, are you okay? Is that funny? Okay. You need to understand something. The world does not revolve around America. I know it's crazy, right? But the world does not revolve around America, and we as Americans are not the center of the universe. This book is a eternal book. It is a timeless book, therefore it is always timely. Ultimately, this word is not about you. This word is about Jesus, and this is a book that is ancient book that contains prophecies and words written by men for about a 3,000-year period with four different languages, four different continents, 66 different books written by 40 different authors. And there really is only one story from Genesis to Revelation. And that's the story of covenants and the story of fulfillment. So in Genesis, as the story opens up, God makes Adam and Eve, our first parents, places them in the garden. And his whole goal and plan is for relationship with them, that he would dwell amongst them, that he would be their God and that they would be his people. Well, they sinned, they fell, rebelled. And then God comes to a man named Noah, makes that same promise, comes to a man named Abraham, makes him a promise that he'd be the father of many nations and that from him all nations would be blessed. And then he comes to another man named Moses and leads and delivers them into the promised land. That great nation is established as Israel. And then God comes to a man named David, makes a covenant that he would build his temple where God would dwell amongst his people. Again, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And every single covenant failed, but God was faithful to keep his end of the agreement. He sends his son, Jesus. Jesus comes, he goes into the temple. He is our perfect sacrifice. He is our great high priest. He fulfills the covenant on our part and on God's part. And now God dwells and resides inside his people. The relationship of the covenant has been fulfilled through Jesus. So the whole storyline of the Bible is God leading his people to the temple. The whole storyline of the book of Mark is this. Jesus comes in Mark 1. He journeys from Galilee. Guess where he's heading to? Jerusalem. Where's this story taking place at? The temple. Everything God creates Satan counterfeits. It's a journey towards the temple. What is the Antichrist going to do? He is going to come and he is going to journey towards Israel and he is going to be in the temple where instead of performing the sacrifice for our sins, he will perform a sacrifice of sin known as the abomination of desolation. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Satan is a counterfeit of everything God's planned because Satan hates what God creates. This is the abomination of desolation. This is the Antichrist. And he also goes by many different names. The most popular name that he goes by is what we're calling him today, the Antichrist. And that word actually only appears in the book of 1 John. It doesn't show up in Daniel nor in Revelation, but it only appears in the book of 1 John. And here's, here's what it says. 1 John says this in 2.18, Dear children, this is the last hour. People say, do you really believe that we're in the last days? Well, 1 John says we are. This book was written 2,000 years ago and it says we are in the last hour. We are in the last days. John tells us, yes, the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven, the end times began. And he says, we are in the last hour and here's what he goes. And as you have heard, the antichrist is coming, but listen to this. Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. So there is one antichrist, but there is also many antichrists that have come. You say, how is that possible? Well, an antichrist is a spirit, but at the same time, it is a person. And there have been many antichrists. You want to know, how do you say that? Well, personally, here's what I believe. I'm not going to be dogmatic and make a doctrine of it, but this is my personal opinion. That no one knows the day nor the hour, not the angels, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father in heaven. Who is Satan? Satan is nothing but a fallen angel. And Satan does not know the day nor the hour, so he's always on guard, waiting and ready and prepared for whenever that day can come. So he always has somebody waiting in the wings. And the abomination of desolation spoken of in the book of Daniel happens about 30 to 40 years before Jesus came on the scene in a man named um, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus means God-man, Epiphanes means madman. And he is a Greek ruler who comes in and he destroys Israel. And he sets himself up to be God in the flesh. He's the God man, but at the same time, he was a madman. He murdered some 800,000 Jews in one single day. He goes into the temple and instead of sacrificing a lamb, which is symbolic of people having their sins forgiven, he sacrifices a pig, which is an unclean animal, on the temple and he performs the abomination of desolation and he destroys and murders the Jews. That is Antiochus Antiochus Epiphanes, the first abomination. But it could also refer to Caligula who also set up a statue of himself in the high holy place of the temple. It it could refer to Nero who was persecuting the Jews and murdering the Christians in the first century at the time of the writing of the book of Mark. It could also refer to Titus who overthrew and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. And he's the one who destroyed the temple. He stole all of the gold, all the money. And that's the reason there is no temple or holy place for the Jews to worship today because they are still still in exile, unable to return to the temple. This is the spirit of the Antichrist and this is the person of the Antichrist. Anyone who opposes Jesus, hates the church and persecutes the Jews is an Antichrist. It could also refer to... Genghis Khan, it could refer to Hitler, it could refer to Charlemagne, it could be Stalin, it could be not say soon, it could be Mao in China. It is anyone who is politically motivated to persecute the church and use their power to oppress people. That is the spirit of the Antichrist at work. In every age, in every generation, Satan does not know the day nor the hour, so he has someone waiting in the wings just in case. Satan is ready for the last. Day, are you ready? Are you prepared? Don't let your enemy be more prepared than you. He also goes by other names. So here's what we see: that the most popular name may be the Antichrist, but in Mark. And in Daniel, he's referred to as the abomination of desolation. In Daniel 7, he's referred to as the king of Babylon. Isaiah 14, four, the little horn in Daniel 7, eight. We see the prince in Daniel nine twenty six, Revelation calls him the beast, the man of lawlessness and the son of perdition or evil. Second Thessalonians two, three through eight. And some of your translations will refer to him as the son of Satan. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. So Jesus is the son of God, the antichrist is is the son of Satan. Jesus manifests himself in the flesh. The Antichrist will manifest himself in the flesh. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. The Antichrist will show up in Jerusalem. Jesus goes into the temple. The Antichrist will come into the temple. Jesus performs the sacrifice on our behalf for our sins. The Antichrist will perform a sacrifice of sin to be able to deceive and to destroy us. Jesus comes to bring life. Satan comes to bring death. Everything God creates, Satan. Satan imitates and counterfeits. Who is the Antichrist? No one more than an imitation of Jesus himself. The second thing we see is this. What will the Antichrist do? Now, next week, we're gonna dive deeper into Mark 13, 14, through this section in 23, and we're gonna look at what Jesus calls here the time of great tribulation. One through 13 leads up to the 2,000 years of history up until this point. Mark 14 actually begins what is known the seven years, the period of great tribulation. We're gonna dive deeper into that tomorrow, or next week rather, but here's what I want you to understand in the meantime, is that truth is only one generation away from extinction. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Truth is always one generation away from extinction. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we do know that Jesus will come back. Just because it hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean that it's not gonna happen. And right now, as we're preaching this series, this may be new for some of you because our generation has not taught this, has not thought about this, has not studied deeply about this, nor been intellectually honest with themselves over this subject. We've avoided it, we've rejected it, we've denied it, and we've come to the false conclusion that just because we don't know everything, means we can't know anything. And so we've allowed ourselves to become ignorant over this subject. That's why Jesus says, let the reader understand. He wants you to know this. He wants you to be ready for this. He wants his church to teach these things. And as we're teaching in this sermon series, what we're doing actually is we're standing on the shoulders of giants of church history, men and women, Bible teachers, pastors, theologians, scholars, third grade Sunday school teachers who did their best, God bless them. But we are standing on the shoulders of generations of church history who have been faithfully teaching the word of God, who have been preaching the doctrine of eschatology, who have been trying to not scare the church, but to prepare the church about the coming trials and tribulations. Because if we do not know what we believe, then guess what's going to happen? We'll believe anything. Truth is but one generation away from extinction. If you don't learn these words from the church, then you're going to hear them from the culture. And if Satan can get the pulpit, you better believe he can get the pew. Truth is only one generation away from extinction. And so we must teach these things so that way we can be ready and prepared for when that day comes. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years. But my job as your pastor is to prepare you for that day. And so with that being said, let me give you 10 things that you never knew about the Antichrist. Here's the first thing I want you to understand is that He will establish seven years of peace. In the book of Daniel, it speaks directly, chapter 11, about the rise of the Antichrist. The abomination of desolation marks the three and a half year period. The years before that is a rise of peace. It's gonna be an unparalleled peace on earth. People are not gonna recognize it. Instead, they're gonna welcome it and they're gonna see the peace and they're gonna get excited and they're gonna encourage that. And then the abomination of desolation spoken of in Mark 13, 14, and the final three and a half years will not be a time of peace on earth, but rather it will be time of hell on earth. Here's what Daniel says in Daniel. It says, And he shall make a strong covenant. What's the meaning of God's love for us? Covenant and fulfillment. What does Satan do? Covenant. Everything God creates, Satan imitates and counterfeits. God makes a covenant with his people. Satan comes and makes a covenant with people as well. For one week, that's seven years, symbolic language. And for half the week, three and a half years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and to offerings. And then on the wing of the abominations that shall come the one who makes desolate. What is that? That's what Jesus is preaching over here, the abomination of desolation. How do we know the rise of the Antichrist? He is someone who's going to come and he is going to bring great peace. What I find so fascinating is this. How long was Jesus' ministry on earth? About three years. And who who is Jesus? He comes as the Prince of Peace, right? Three and a half years, the Antichrist comes and counterfeits the ministry that Jesus performed. Signs, wonders, miracles, healings. We'll dive into it deeper in just a moment. But everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. And so he comes and he brings peace. Three and a half years will be peace on earth. But then once the abomination of desolation takes place, all hell will break loose. Under his rule, the whole world will be united in mission and vision and focus economically, politically, religiously. See, the whole goal of Jesus, what he comes to do is he comes to gather the nations. The reason why Jesus has not yet returned is because he is gathering the nations unto himself. The great commission is that we would go make disciples of all nations. In Acts 1.8, it says that you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our call is to reach the nations. The Antichrist comes in, and guess what he does? He fulfills his own demonic commission, and he gathers the nations unto himself. The nations will be represented by 10 greater armies and nations. He will come in as economic uncertainty is rising at an all-time high. He will establish a one-world currency. Religious tensions will also increase. And he's going to settle these religious intentions through compromise, getting people to compromise their convictions with a false pretense of compassion. And for three and a half years, people will believe that there is peace but it will not be the shalom peace that God promises. No, 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 it will be a satanic peace that counterfeits what God actually wants. I'm just reminded in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet says, woe to those who call evil good and woe to those who cry out peace, 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 when there is no peace. It's a false peace by a false prophet. It ain't real. Have you ever heard that saying, might makes right? Okay, the one with the guns makes the rules. That's how this works. It's not a peace that passes understanding. It is a peace where if anybody crosses him, he will crush them. It's might makes right. It's like a drug cartel. Takes control of the town, says, hey, we finally have peace. Meanwhile, the people are in poverty and squalor and nobody can rise up and fight them because if they do, they will be murdered. This is how the Antichrist will rule. During this time, he's also gonna allow the Jewish people to even begin to rebuild their temple. And as they begin to rebuild their temple, they're going to be excited. He's probably going to fund it. He's probably going to support it. And as they finally rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount through a compromise with the Palestinian people, they'll be able to rebuild their temple. And at the great ribbon cutting on that day marks the three and a half years, he'll cut the ribbon, walk into the high holy place, and he will declare himself to be God, performing the abomination of desolation and desecrating the worship of people. This is the Antichrist. When you see this, it's too late. Satan's plan is already in place and so you need to be prepared for that day. That's the first thing. Be on guard. Watch out for the seven years that lead to the abomination of desolation. Number two, he will rule with charm if possible, but he will rule through force if necessary. Daniel 11, 21, he shall come in without warning. People are like, who's the Antichrist? Oh, I think I know who it is. Nobody knows who he's gonna be. Do you know why? He's gonna come without warning. Nobody even recognized Jesus when he came on the scene either. He will be a counterfeit in every way to the Lord Christ. Nobody will know. He's going to come without warning. And so you can guess the best you want right now, but nobody knows. The Bible says he will come in without warning. He will obtain the kingdom by flatteries. He's going to be nice. He's going to be sweet. He's going to be winsome and charming, probably with a nice white smile. He's going to have armies that shall be utterly swept away before him and be broken, even the prince of the covenant. He will rule by charm. People are going to love him. They're going to laugh at his jokes. He is going to basically be all things to all people. But if you cross him, he will crush you. And if he can't deceive you, he'll do what my Nana always said Satan will do. If he can't deceive you, he will destroy you. That's what Satan wants to do. That's the way the antichrist rules. Number three, he will be spiritual, but not religious. How many of you ever heard somebody say this? Oh, I'm spiritual, but not religious. The other day I invited somebody to church and they're like, hey, would you like to come to church with me? They're like, "Ah, I'm just not really into church. And I'm like, it's okay. When I first started going, I wasn't really into church either. And they're like, well, I'm just, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Listen, Satan doesn't care if you're spiritual. You know why? Because demons are spirits. There are unclean spirits. Not every spirit is from the Lord. 1 John says to test the spirits because not all spirits are from God. He doesn't care if you're spiritual. Listen, demons believe in God. James says that the demons believe in God and they shudder. If the demons shudder before God, have some fear of God yourself. You want to be spiritual? The goal is not to be spiritual. The goal is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The goal is not to be religious. The goal is to be like Jesus. And Satan doesn't care if you're spiritual because we live in a day where people want to be enlightened. Meanwhile, they're blind and they are darkened. They're darkened by the demonic deception that are, they are spiritual but not religious. Listen to what it says here. Daniel 8, 23 through 24. When the transgressors, what's that? That's, that's us. We're the transgressors. When the transgressors have reached their limits, a king with bold face, one who understands riddles shall arise and his power shall be great. But where does that power come from? It's not by his own power. It's a demonic power that influences and empowers him. And I love what it says here. The one who understands riddles. That's amazing. Some of your translations are going to say this, the one who speaks in dark sentences. Now, as your pastor, here's what I encourage you all the time. I encourage you to pray that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through his baptism, so that way you can speak in tongues. I pray that every single one of us would be able to speak in tongues. This is the opposite of that. He's not speaking in the tongues of angels. He's speaking in the tongues of demons. He is speaking in dark sentences, and he understands riddles. He will be a psychic. He will be a medium. He will be a prophet. He will have prophecies. He will be able to perform miracles, read minds, speak in dark sentences. He will be empowered by unclean spirits. He will be energized and obsessed by the occult. And I believe that this is how he's going to end up flattering so many people. People are going to be like believing him. They're going to be retweeting and sharing him in their Instagram stories because he's going to seem so enlightened to them. And he's going to impress them with his dark sentences. We live in a culture that is primed and ready for this to happen. That's why every person, Girl, you see on Instagram wearing yoga pants is posting about crystals and aligning her chakra and bidding herself into a pretzel and her spirit animal. Oh, I just need to tap into my inner being. No, garbage. That's all demonic deception setting us up for the day of the abomination of desolation to come. We live and we breathe in a world where Satan is hiding in plain sight right in front of us and we accept it as normal. This is why every movie or TV show has something to do with demons or the demonic possession or sci-fi or the occult or alien invasions encounters werewolves and vampires basically we are living in a day where Satan is hiding in plain sight and we are no longer we are no longer resisting evil but rather we are being entertained by it and we are laughing And we are joining in on the evil itself. This is why he says, when the transgressors have reached their limit. Basically, when social conditioning has happened, when we are swimming in the demonic, the way the fish swims in the sea, we don't even recognize we're wet anymore. It's just normal life now. And that all prepares our hearts to receive the Antichrist. Number four, he will dismantle the nuclear family. He shall pay no attention to the gods of the fathers, to the beloved one of women. Here, Daniel here is talking about the traditional family structure that has been prevalent throughout all of human history. No matter what you have seen on the Internet, no matter what you have shared, no matter what you have seen on a YouTube video or what your college professor has told you, the family is the foundation of civilization one man, one woman in a covenant for life that produces children. This is how humanity has flourished for millennia. This is how God has created and designed the universe to operate. It is the foundation of the human flourishing, and he will have no regard for that. In fact, he will laugh at it, make fun of it. He will ridicule it, consider it to be a relic of days gone past, and begin to accuse people of, let's say, being on the wrong side of history. No, history would show for the last millennias that the family is the foundation of the human civilization and he will try to erode and eradicate and destroy the nuclear family system. We're seeing this play out in our culture today. Listen, the best thing that you could give your kids is not a good GPA. The best thing you can give your kids is not to make the all-star team at T-Ball and not good manners. The best gift you could ever give your kids is a mom and dad who love each other. The number one indicator of drug addiction and poverty is growing up in a home without a father. Tonight we're going to have 40% of children go to bed without a dad in their home. For the first time in the nation's history more children are born out of wedlock than in marriage. We're already seeing the erosion of the family system take place. And we're going to see it continue to degrade and degrade and degrade and become more popular and become more celebrated. It's an erasure of gender. It's an erasure of sexuality, erasure of the marriage and of children and of family. And the defeat of the family will come with a hashtag and a parade. Better believe it. We're welcoming in the Antichrist. It's a complete reversal of God's design. In Genesis, what do we see? God created the male and female. He was their God, he brought them together in the first marriage, and then he says, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and fulfill it. You know what that's called? That's called the creation mandate. This is the way that God has created the universe to work. One man, one woman, populating the earth through children and working together. This is the way God created. This is an egalitarian where the men and women work together in a complementarian role, but Satan wants to undermine the creation of God by eliminating gender and race and procreation through children, eliminating the creation mandate, therefore setting up his own version of a false creation. Because whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. He will come and dismantle the family. Number five, he will declare himself to be God. Second Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul says, let no one deceive you. Do you know why he warns you to not be deceived? Because it's possible that you're wrong. People say, I, I, I'm not deceived. Okay, that's what people who are deceived say. The nature of deception is you don't know that you're deceived. So you need to be alert and on guard. Let you make sure that no one deceives you nor leads you astray. For in that day, he's talking about the second coming, the great day of the Lord. In that day, that day will not come until when? Until the rebellion comes first. There's going to be a day where people rise up against God. People rise up against the church. There will be a time of increased rebellion in those days. And the man of lawlessness, that is the Antichrist, he will be revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God, object of worship, so that he takes his seat. Where is he going to take his seat at? In the temple. Where is Jesus preaching this message at? Overlooking the temple. He will take his seat in the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. He will demand worship. He will demand total allegiance. People will fall down before him. They will worship him. They will marvel at him. They will listen to his teachings. They will download his podcasts, and they will surrender themselves to him. This is the Antichrist. People often wonder, they say, what is the mark of the beast? Okay, in the last year, people were like, oh, no, don't take the mark of the beast. It's a microchip. It's to find my iPhone. It's the COVID vaccine. Don't get the mark of the beast. Listen, nobody's going to accidentally take the mark of the beast. People are like, what, what is the mark of the beast? Is it a microchip? Is it, is, it the, is it the little chip inside of my credit card? Is it online banking? Is it, is it my phone? I mean, it could be my phone. I, I don't know because, you know, it says you'll get it on your hand and on your forehead and when I hold my phone, it's in my hand next to my head. Oh, ah, it's the beast! Is that it? Is that it? No, that's that's not it. So what is what is the, the mark of the beast? In the Old Testament, the sign of your allegiance to God was circumcision. So whenever you... We're one of God's people, the sign of the covenant of relationship with circumcision. Under the New Testament, what is it? It's baptism. Now, listen, in the old covenant, nobody's accidentally getting circumcised. They're like, whoops, my bad. Took a little too much off the top. No. I won't say that second service. First service, y'all, have the trial run, okay? <laughs> and no one's accidentally getting baptized. A couple weeks ago, we baptized 27 people in the church. I mean, we had people sign up for it. Even that day, they gave their life to Jesus. They ran down front, but they changed into a life change through Jesus t-shirt. We had shorts and towels for them. Their family was here. We had photos. We baptized them. They came up in a great big celebration. We have 200 baptisms on the lock wall outside and none of them got baptized by accident. What did they do? They made a decision. The mark of the beast is an outward expression of an inward decision. It is your loyalty and your allegiance to the empire of the world rather than the kingdom of God. You will know what the mark is because you will gladly take it if you're not aware of what the Bible teaches. On that day, he will declare and he will demand total allegiance and it will be your allegiance to the beast an outward display of an inward decision that you make. Number six, he will persecute Christians. Daniel 7, 21, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and he was defeating them. He he was persecuting the church and he was winning. He was beating them. He was destroying them. He was defeating them. Here's what it goes on to say, Revelation 13, 5 in the New Testament And the beast was given the mouth uttering haughty, blasphemous words, teasing, mocking the people of God. And it was allowed for him to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years and it opened its mouth and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming the name of his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war onto the saints and to conquer them. During this time, anyone who does not bow down to the beast will be beaten, slaughtered, and killed. Anybody who does not take the mark will be persecuted and arrested. Look at what it says next. And the authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation. The counterfeit Great Commission. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written in the foundation before the world in the book of the Lamb's Book of Life who was slain. And if anyone has an ear... It's saying, listen to this, pay attention to this, open up your mind, open up your eyes, open up your ears. If anyone has an ear, let them hear. Here's what he says. If anyone is taken captive, to captivity you go. If anyone is gonna be slain with the sword, then you must be slain with the sword. This is a call to endurance and to the faith of the saints. We have a lot of militant Christians who are ready to go to the polls and go to the gun shop and stock up on toilet paper and hopefully fight the beast when that day comes. I'm going to start a war. I'm going to resist. I'm going to fight him. When that day comes, you don't fight. You don't fight the Antichrist. You, you, You don't get a gun and try to go to war with him. You don't even resist him. What does it say? It says if you get arrested, to prison you go. If you get killed, you get killed. That's it. You don't fight this. Here's what you do. You accept your fate you accept your fate and you consider yourself worthy that you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life and that you get to follow in the footsteps of your murdered savior. You're like Jesus at his own crucifixion who remains silent before his accusers. When you get arrested, to jail you go. If you get killed, you get killed. That is the fate of the Christian in that day. Listen, this is not about escapism. Many people today, they just wanna escape. They want to escape suffering. They want to escape trials. They want to escape difficulty. Some of us have been lied to when it comes to your version of Christianity. You have been taught that if anything is difficult, it must not be from God. But that's not always true. Sometimes there is not a time of escape. Sometimes there is a time of embracing the love of God in a way that you would never experience while you're comfortable. Sometimes there is a call to the perseverance of the saints and to endure in faith. You will not escape this, but some of us, I am gravely concerned because I don't know if you have the strength to endure this. Are you sure about what you believe? It's easy today to bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand, pray a prayer, walk the aisle, and have a bumper sticker on the back of your car that says you're on Team Jesus. That's easy. But are you so, con- are you, are you so convicted about your convictions that when persecution comes, you will be able to stand on that day? Are you so sure of the decision that you made? that on that day, you will be able to say, yes, I'm still still with Jesus. I mean, the last year has been tough. 2020, it's been tough. It's been rough. But if a pandemic can do this to a church, imagine what persecution is gonna do to you. If one third of Christians no longer attend church today because of a pandemic, what's gonna happen when the first wave of persecution comes against us? Churches are reopened, but... Many pastors, they're reporting that people aren't coming back to the church. And if that's what happens when a pandemic and some riots and some protests and when people get famous on social media and they can lead you and deceive you and they can trick you and you get so caught up in these things that when churches reopen, you're not there. If that's what happens, if a pandemic can do this, God help us when real persecution comes. Some of us be folding like lawn chairs anytime something difficult comes our way. As if if it's hard, it must not be from God. What are you gonna do when it costs you your job? When it costs you your family, when your children are ridiculing you, what are you going to do whenever somebody turns their back on you, makes fun of you? What are you going to do when they start foreclosing your home, when they start repossessing your car, whenever you're not allowed to buy or sell or trade goods? You're like, I love Jesus, but I also love Starbucks. Oh, it's really tough. Like I need a, I need a Frappuccino, but at the same time, uh, you know, I do, I do love Jesus. That's going to be the decisions that we have to make. And my concern is that some of us, we love our stuff more than our savior. Materialism is a disease in the church and it's how the beast is going to take us out. Because we love our stuff more than we love our God. Are you really going to be able to stand that day? Are you going to follow Jesus if it costs you everything? If anyone has ear, let him hear. This is not a call to escapism. This is a call to endurance and perseverance of the saints. We will not escape it, but my, my grave concern for us, and why I believe that Jesus has this tucked in, the gospel of Mark is this, is he wants us to be ready because my concern is some of us will not endure this. It goes on, and we also read this. Number seven, he will perform miracles. Second Thessalonians 2, 9, the coming of the lawless one by the activity of Satan. With all power, he will raise and perform signs and wonders. Just like Jesus, he will perform miracles. He will perform healings, signs, wonders. Like Pharaoh's magicians who will imitate God's miracles through Moses, there will be counterfeits because everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Number eight, he will be killed and he will be resurrected. Revelation thirteen three. One of its heads, this is the beast, seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. In Revelation 13, 14, a few verses down, by these signs that is allowed to work the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them, make an image, erect a God, bow down, worship the image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He is a counterfeit in every single way. Jesus ministered for three years. He will minister for three years. Jesus comes preaching peace. The Antichrist will come preaching peace. He was killed and resurrected. The Antichrist at the end of the three and a half year period will be killed and he will be resurrected. This is why Jesus warns us in the last days, when you see false Christ, don't listen to him. In Mark 13, 13, 23, he says, if you see anybody says, look, there he is. There he is. Don't listen to them. I wouldn't be surprised if in the last days, there's going to be some pastors in the pulpit saying, you know what? We got it wrong. Here's the real Jesus. I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be some people who grew up in the church and then when the Antichrist comes, they're like, oh, it's the second coming of Jesus and they will confuse the real Christ for the counterfeit on that day. Why? Because they don't read their Bible and they don't know what they believe. He's a counterfeit in every single way. He will be filled with the power of Satan. Revelation 13, 2. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard and its feet were like the bear and its mouth was like the lion's mouth and the dragon gave it its power and his throne by great authority. Here he's repeating the prophecies of Daniel. And I know I've already given you like 70 scriptures today and I can't dive into the book of Daniel right now, but the prophecy in Daniel is that there was a one beast that was made up of four different animals. It had the body of a bear and the head of a lion and that of a leper. And all of these animals represented different political kingdoms, different Nations of the world. So you had the Persians and the Medes. You had the Babylonians, and you also had the Greeks. And it was all represented in in individual beasts. But yet here we see in Revelation that all the beasts are combined. They are a conglomerate of economic power, of political power, of influence, of military might. What Revelation is saying is he will be like the great empires that come before, but he will be all of them rolled up into one. He will have the education reform of Greece. He will have the power and the might of Babylon. He will be like the Medes and he will be like the Persians, but it will all be wrapped up into one political system. Listen, in the last days, people will worship politics as their own God. This is what we've seen in America over the last four years. We have seen people worshiping presidents as if they were their savior. And every political election, you got got one side fighting against the other and declaring war and declaring victor and they're going at it and against it. You know what that is? That's nothing more than the beast. And I don't care if you're left wing or right wing because both wings belong to the beast. Have you ever met somebody who got really involved in politics and became more like Jesus? Have you ever met somebody who watched Fox News for 10 hours and went out and loved their neighbor? No, you have it. You know why? Because the more obsessed you get with these things, the least likely you are to look like Jesus and the more likely you are to begin looking like the beast. Be very careful. Some of you are like, Byron, you're getting political. No, you're being deceived. This is biblical. In those days, a military leader, a politician will rise up and people will declare them to be their victor. Rather than recognizing that Jesus is our victor and we don't worship the empire, we worship at the foot of the king and we belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. Amen. Amen. Which leads to number 10. He will lead the nations of the world into a final battle. Here's what it says. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his enemy. Ultimately, here is the goal. The goal is to gather the nations. The goal is to lead them into a final battle, one last stand from a defeated foe to overthrow the conquering king. And right now, some of you are like, Byron, do you really believe this? Like, does the Bible really teach these things? Like those of you who are guests, you're like, I think I came on the wrong week. (laughs) Maybe I'll come back next week. Well, let me just give you a verse uh, that we're going to read next week as we study the the great tribulation. Here's a verse. The men nod their tongues in agony and curse the God of heaven because of their source. So yeah, come back next week. That's going to be fun. But here Jesus says, let the reader understand because so few of us actually do. This is the reason that truth is one generation away from extinction, because we don't understand these things. We don't teach them, we don't study them, we don't meditate on them, we don't even think about them. And that means that when these day comes, we will not be prepared for them. He says, let the reader understand. Why do we teach these things? Why, Why do we teach this? Number one, it's because it's in the Bible. My job as your pastor is preach the word, not to preach things that make you feel good, make you warm and fuzzy and give you the feels every single week. No, no, I have to preach the truth. And when you preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, sometimes you hit portions that make you a little uncomfortable. And so I can't skip it. My job is to preach it. So that's one reason. The second reason is I have to prepare you to prepare you to understand what to expect when these days come. You say, shouldn't church just be exciting? Shouldn't it just be motivating? I mean, I come here to get a word that's gonna get me through the week, uplift me, pat me on the back, pat me on the butt, tell me, pastor, it's gonna be okay. And that's the problem is that so many of us are living in a la-la land of Christian escapism rather than having a mission-filled heart of perseverance and the endurance of our faith. These words are a wake-up call. They're a wake-up call to a church that is asleep. These words are a wake-up call to every Christian who's driving in their car, singing Kumbaya and their favorite new album on Spotify, who are listening to self-help sermons instead of relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to get them through the week. These words are a wake-up call to every Christian who has taken the path of least resistance and stopped making a difference in your life. These words are a wake-up for every time you retweet and share a Bible verse on your Instagram. Meanwhile, you don't know the name of your neighbors and every single day they are dying and going to hell while you are safe and comfortable. These words are a wake-up call. Satan doesn't care if you own a Bible as long as you don't read your Bible. Satan doesn't care if you go to church as long as you're not being the church. Satan doesn't care if you were baptized when you were a baby as long as you're not living out your faith. Satan doesn't care if you profess to follow Jesus he just doesn't want you to actually practice these words are a wake-up call to a church that is sleeping these words are a wake-up call to every millennial that has an iPhone put down your phone and pick up the Bible these words are a wake-up call to all the older Saints to turn off Fox News and pick up the good news these words are a wake-up call to parents to pray for your kids Because if you don't pray for your kids, the beast will pray on your kids. These words are a wake up call. We need to have a mindset of the end times because we don't know the day or the hour or when this day will come. And we need to be ready as a church and we need to be prepared. And so, for the last hour, I've told you about the Antichrist. But what I want to do now is I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the third point is this what will happen to the Antichrist on that day? Listen, church, we don't fight for victory, we fight from a position of victory because he has already been defeated. It started with a prophecy in Genesis 3 that the seed of a woman will crush the head of the serpent. It, The first blow was laid on Calvary where the death nail was laid. And yet there will be one giant final battle in the end where our Lord Jesus will rule victoriously. Here's what it says. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, there was a white horse. The one who rode on this white horse, his name was faithful and true. He is not the counterfeit. He is the authentic. He is not the lie. He is the truth. He does not come to bring fear. He comes to bring faith. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. The first time Jesus came, he was a suffering servant. The next time Jesus returns he will be our warrior king. The first time he came as the sacrificial lamb, the next time he will come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He comes and he makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one but himself knows. And he is clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood. And by the name by which he is called is the word of God. He is the word made flesh come to deliver, come to heal, come to bring the truth. And the armies of heaven arrayed in in fine linen, white and pure. They are not defiled. They are not broken. They are not stained by sin. They're pure and holy whites and they are falling on him white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations and he will come and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh is a name that is written King of Kings and Lord of lords, then I saw an angel standing In the sun with a loud voice, the angel called out, called out to the birds that fly directly overhead, come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, small and great. You want to talk about counterfeits? Our king prepares a communion table where he says, drink my blood and eat my flesh the sign of his sacrifice and his covenant fulfillment to us will those who betray him and the antichrist who tries to fight him they will have a counterfeit communion from our king where the birds of the air will feast on their flesh and will eat them and will devour them goes on both free and great and i saw the beast and the kings of earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army, and the beast was captured. What's gonna happen to the beast? He will be captured. And with it, the false prophet and the pretense who had done by the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped in its image. These two, they were thrown alive. What's gonna happen in the end? They will be thrown alive into the lake a fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him, Jesus who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. He is defeated. He is conquered. He has been overthrown. He has been laid siege against. That great serpent of Genesis grew over time into a dragon by revelation. But our King Jesus is a dragon slayer. He shows up and fulfills the prophecy of Genesis. The seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent, and our King Jesus slits the throat of that dragon and casts him down into the eternal lake of fire. This is our King. This is our Jesus. Yes, you need to know your enemy, but more importantly, you need to know your King. Opposite day is over. The curse has been reversed. Sin has been defeated. Satan has been conquered. The has been overturned. And in one moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when our Lord Jesus returns, then we will be transformed and made just like him. Death will be no more, that every tear will be wiped from our face. All pain and suffering will be removed and we will be with him like him forevermore. This is the how the story ends. Redemption, there is no need to be afraid. I have read the last page and in the end, Jesus wins. So for the last hour, I have told you about the Antichrist. Now, in closing, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He is the real thing. He is the genuine, he is the Lord, the savior, the ruling heavyweight champion of the universe. Our Jesus wins. The antichrist was from below, but Jesus is from above. He exalts himself, but Jesus humbles himself. He comes to destroy, but Jesus comes to save. He is the lie, but Jesus is the truth. He is the lawless one, but Jesus is the holy one. He is the beast, but Jesus Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He hates you, but Jesus loves you. He brings death, but Jesus brings life. He is a counterfeiter, but Jesus is a creator. He is a dragon, but Jesus is the dragon slayer. I have read the last page, Redemption, and in the end, Jesus wins. And so in the meantime, we stand, we worship because the war has been won. Jesus is victorious and we worship our King, amen?